Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ozil, marca Mesut Ozil. gol del Arsenal, remonta el Arsenal. Giroud, Giroud, marcó Giroud. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. Good morning to you, James. Good morning to you. It's not a goodly morning, is it? We shouldn't even debate it. it, it it's not goodly at all. No, I tell you what it is. It's bloody cold. It's freezing over here in Ireland. I know you've had snow and what have you over there, but it was uh, it was minus three this morning when I got up, and I don't think it's wow. much warmer now. Yeah, I mean, I tell you what, it's very cold in my house as well, and I'm sat at my desk. And it feels like it's cold under my desk. I don't know if some sort of vortex or portal to the outside world's opened up beneath me there. I wasn't aware there was a draft beneath my mm. desk, but my feet are freezing. Uh, have you got slippers on or socks? or? No, I've taken no precautions. It's my own fault. I've gone barefoot. It's not the weather for it. <laughs> it's definitely not. Definitely not. Well, look, uh, wherever you are listening, uh, I hope you're uh, nice and warm and toasty, whether it's indoors or outdoors. I just want to say thank you very much indeed uh, to all of you who do listen. We were named, the Arsecast was named, one of the most downloaded sports podcasts of 2017 by iTunes, by Apple Podcasts. And I know that people listen through various uh, and many platforms, whether it's iTunes or whether you're on Android, whatever app you're listening to. But uh, obviously iTunes and podcasts have this uh, connection. So that was very nice. And uh, just want to say thank you. And I appreciate that um, very much indeed. Yeah, that's lovely, isn't it? And hope if you are in England where we've had the snow that you're not too snowed in. Being snowed in is fun, isn't it, for a little bit. And then it's like, oh, what am I going to do? Am I going to eat my cat? What's going to happen? Well, so, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that's the first thing people think of, you know, not not yeah. will I will I see what I can make out of all the canned goods that I've yeah. got in the shelves that have been sitting yeah. there for ages, all the dried pasta, all those kind of things. No, will I have to eat my cat? That's, that's why I jump straight to every time. Everyone's like, no, when it snows near me, people get really worried. I'd say your cat so, does as well. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I love the snow. It's exciting. I mean, I, you know, it's... Uh, it's annoying, but it's exciting. It's a fine line. It's such a fine line. It's as fine as the line between snow and slush, really. Slush is no good. No good whatsoever. I think if you've got snow and it remains snowy and what have you for, for weeks and months at a time, then fine. You know, you can mm. set up and life is set up to deal with that. But here, and I'm sure it's the same in the UK, that the minute there's any snow whatsoever, everything is like, it's a panic. The, all the bread is yeah. gone in the supermarkets. All the schools are closed. Like, all the loads of schools in Ireland are closed today because it's a bit frosty. I mean, what the fuck? 
cowards. Yeah. They're cowardly, these school children. What are they so scared of? A bit of frost. No, yeah, all the schools around here are closed as well. I mean, it's great if you're a kid, though. I This was like, I dreamed of this happening every yeah. year. Yeah, is it going to be, is school going to be off because of snow? It was one of the greatest things. Whenever it happened, it was one of the greatest things of all time, wasn't it? Yeah, and I would insist on playing football in the snow, despite the fact that it can be very, very difficult. Um, I had an orange ball specifically for these occasions that I would wheel out. Um, but yeah, look, no rest for us. Yeah, no rest for us whatsoever. No rest for the wicked. I mean, we're not the wicked ones, are we? We're just sitting here experiencing all the, the wickedness that this Arsenal team inflicts upon us, James. You know, we're you, the victims, if well, anything. Exactly, exactly. On Well, I mean, we are, I, w- I won't say unwilling victims, but, you know, we... we um, we, we willingly put ourselves through this week after week after week after season after season. And, oh gosh, you know, we do we do arsenal it up, don't we? We really arsenal it up at times. Isn't it interesting because, you know, normally when you get a late equaliser in a game, you come away from it feeling a bit like that's a winner. You know, that, that, that allows you to come out mm. of it feeling good about the match. And generally there's a, a feeling of relief and positivity and, well, we snatched a draw from the jaws of defeat. Um, but it feels like with this game, there's kind of none of that sentiment at all. I feel, almost feel like the equaliser, it, did, it didn't do much to kind of improve the moods of the people who I observed on, on social media and spoke to after the game. No, it's, uh, you know, it was to do with the, the performance, the overall performance, particularly when there was such expectation going into this game. You know, having played well against Bate Borisov, you know, there was that, that, that glimmer of hope that people had after the Manchester United game that I didn't really buy into, that because we created so many chances, you know, coming after the Field game coming after the Spurs game, you know maybe the the, the team was gonna was gonna put in a performance and put on a show. It's always a difficult place to go, St Mary's. We found it difficult to go there in the past, but I'm not sure it's to do with the place. You know, I think it's to do with this team. It's to do with the fact that we can't find any consistency and we have big big issues away from home. When we go on the road, we have problems that the manager seems incapable of solving right now. And yeah, you're right. A, a last minute or a late equalizer normally gives you a bit of a boost and maybe if it was against a team like Chelsea or, or Man United or well, I won't say Man United, Man City, one of the bigger teams, you know, you would, okay, go right, that's good. You think of the Olivier Giroud goal at Old Trafford. We didn't play well that day, but you come out of it going, oh, that's all right because, you know, they played well and, and still haven't won the game. We've made them uh, unhappy. We've hurt them in some way. But, you know, this was a game I think we should have won. Southampton have, have won four games all season. They've not been in good form. They were there for the taking, as far as I'm concerned, and Arsenal's performance was was really poor, really insipid, and characterised once more by defensive lapses in our own half, which ultimately cost us. And in the first, you know, 20 minutes of the game, I mean, I, I, when the match started, I thought back to the United game, because the Barty Borisov, you know, it was an impressive performance, but it was an entirely different team. It's almost irrelevant, really, to what happened at St Mary's. Yeah. I, I thought back to the United match and thought, well, after what happened there, surely there'll be a sense of we're away from home here. That first, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour is going to be about being a little bit conservative. Arsene has gone with the third centre-back. He's put the captain, Per Mertzacker, in there and we're just going to keep things tight. But we were so, so rocky in that early period. And obviously we did concede the one goal, but 
we were lucky that it wasn't more. Yeah, we really were. I mean, we were all over the place for the first 10 or 15 minutes. And had Southampton been a bit more ruthless, had they taken their chances, had it not been for Petr Cech, who made at least one really good save, uh, mm. we, we would have been further behind and, you know, uh, giving ourselves another another uphill battle. So look, on the team selection, I don't think it was a surprise that he chose the team that he did with Mustafi out. He was going to go, but he was going to stick with three at the back anyway. Mertesacker was the obvious choice to come in, I guess. But uh, he looked like a player who perhaps is suffering a bit from the fact that he doesn't play regularly, but also a guy who looks like his legs are, are really heavy now. And he wasn't alone, actually, in that yesterday. I thought I thought, um, I thought, thought Lauren Koscielny as well looked like a man who's who's beginning to feel his age. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And actually, one of the things about the back three is that it slightly protects Koscielny at times. And then when he went to a four and Southampton were breaking on us in the second half, I thought you saw a little bit of vulnerability from him but it wasn't a good day for Permod Saka I you know I, at the start of the season I was kind of championing his inclusion to be honest but he looked I mean Rusty would be the kindest way of putting it uh, the other alternative is like you say is he just coming towards the end I mean he has declared he's retiring at the end of the season and are his performances dropping off now on the goal he didn't cover himself in glory the clearance mm. That's one thing, really. You know, I mean, it, it, it's miscued. It goes to the opposition player. But then when the guy runs off his back, he just can't stay with him. Mm. I actually thought that even so, Montreal probably allowed Charlie Austin to get away from him a little bit too easily. I mean, he's not the quickest player in the world, Charlie Austin, but he looked it against Montreal because he was a bit guilty of looking at the ball uh, rather than following the man. But yeah, I mean, decent finish when it when he got there. But it, it was it was we were all at sea. I mean, it wasn't just the back three either. I mean, I thought the central midfield couldn't get a grip on the game. I thought the wing backs were being uh, passed way too easily. I thought Redmond gave Be- Bella in a lot of trouble on that flank. And in that time, I just thought, well, the game could be lost right here. Yeah. You know, it's, it's strange, isn't it, to hear the manager talk afterwards about how the United game was in their heads. You know, the... Mm. Um, the fact that we started poorly against Manchester United was in the the heads of the defenders. And you're thinking, well, come on, like these are professional guys who should be saying, okay, look, we accept and we know what happened against United, but, but that's not a reason to, to make mistakes. It's a reason to concentrate more. It's a reason to be more focused. Yeah. Um, It should have the opposite effect. I think that's exactly what I was anticipating that they would respond to what happened at United, not, sort of clumsily reenact it. Mm, yeah, it was just so careless, you know, and that's what it comes down to. It's carelessness and it's sloppiness and look, it cost us. And, you know, the game can take a different trajectory if you don't start as poorly as that. Maybe you get on top yourself. Maybe you push them back and all of a sudden you've got the momentum. But when you're like on the back foot from the start, it was such a sloppy goal to give away and just a, a really, really poor way to start the game. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think once you concede that goal, sure, then the United game creeps into your head uh, because you're thinking, oh, we've given ourselves a mountain to climb all over again. Although I suppose one goal is not a particularly big mountain as no. mountains go. Sure. And when you look at the, the calibre of that Southampton side uh, and the players that we had on show, particularly from an attacking standpoint, you know, it goes without saying that we ought to have done more to kind of redress the balance. Yeah, of course. Uh, particularly you've eight, in that first half. You've you know? 87 minutes. 
you know, you can mm. see it in the third minute. You've got 87 minutes plus whatever injury time there is at the end of um, at the end of the first half and at the end of the, the second half. So you've a lot of time to get back into it. It wasn't like a killer blow. I think conceding two against Manchester United is essentially a killer blow because, uh, you know, they're, they're a much better side than Southampton. Uh, but one goal away from home, you know, you should be able to, with the quality you have, m- make inroads into that more quickly than we did. Uh, I can remember one chance of note in the first half. That was Aaron Ramsey's shot, which uh, produced a great save from Fra- Fraser Forster. And that was it in the entire first half. Um, yeah. It, it, I mean, the creativity that we saw and all those chances, we spoke about it on the Arscast on Friday. You know, the 20, whatever it was, uh, 23 chances we uh, had against um, Bate Borisov. Bearing in mind the caliber of the opposition, I take that into account completely, but also the 33 attempts on goal against Manchester United, because we did, you know, we, we played well enough to to make those chances, if uh, if not take them. But this was um, this was just back to that Arsenal at their at their kind of worst. I think there just was no incision, there was no drive, there was no change of pace, there was nobody nobody trying anything. Um, to break down that Southampton defence that wasn't safe. It felt very safe, right? Yeah, it was. It was uh, conservative in all the wrong ways. Uh, it was. I don't know. It's a curious combination, isn't it? Of being some of those players out there looking very risk averse. You know, not mm. making the difficult pass, and then other players only making the difficult pass, even when it wasn't the best option. Uh, you know, obviously Alexis is one who's gone a lot of talk around that area. You mm. know, it felt like he 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 never kept it simple. Other Arsenal players were too guilty of keeping it simple. I actually think it was a collective issue across the whole team. I just felt like we did not have. Uh, and you can put it down to individual quality at times. Sometimes people say it feels like we didn't have the creativity, we didn't have that bit of spark. I more like felt we didn't have a plan. We didn't have a, a coherent way of breaking down a team. We didn't know how to take Southampton apart. We didn't know, mm. you know, when you watch a Guardiola side and there's this sense of cat and mouse, they're moving the ball across the pitch, they're yeah. constantly creating space, they're constantly probing. The wide players are making these diagonal runs into the box, looking for certain pockets. With Arsenal, it just feels free form in a way that has no structure. It doesn't feel like there's a strategy behind the yeah, way that yeah. we move the ball around. Absolutely, you know? yeah. I, I think that if we're on it, and if we play well, then th- that's fine. That's what we do, or that's what we're expected to do. But on days like yesterday, when we struggle to break down the opposition, when it's clear that we're struggling from the first whistle almost to create chances or to to turn our possession into pressure, if you like. You know, uh, we can play a lot of passes in their half. We can play a lot of passes around outside their box. But you can tell there are days where we're just not, we're not quite there. It's not clicking for us. Then I think the issue is the players don't know what else to do or what else to try. That it's not, okay, mm-hmm. there's no... There's no sense that, okay, this is not working. Let's try something a bit different. Granted, we went to a back four, but that seems, you know, the default position when we need to get an extra attacker on, you take a defender off. 
but there didn't seem yeah. to be anything about right how do we how do we analyze what they're doing and how do we change what we're doing to try and uh, get behind them or to try and make space or to try and make chances that there doesn't seem to be any understanding of how to do that either on the pitch or from the bench no, well, I feel like if if it happens on the pitch, it kind of happens organically from the players. You know, if, last season, I think about Alexis and Ozil having that kind of understanding on the pitch and it just felt like it was instinctive, really. Mm. Two great players combining rather than something where they'd sat down, uh, you know, with the coaching staff and thought, well, you know, when you pull here, I'll pull there. It, it never felt... It never felt structured in that way. And I guess it hasn't with some of Arsenal's best teams. But when a team is not confident or when a team is lacking in form or even in some areas lacking in ability, what they want is patterns that they can follow. Mm. You know, uh, if I if I, pay, if I play this ball inside, I know I can make this run outside and he knows I'm going to be there. They need, they need structure, basically. They need a blueprint to follow and different blueprints for different scenarios to help them manage their way through the game. Because at the moment, it feels like they're just winging it. And I feel sorry for a guy like Alexandre Lacazette, who's dropped into this team this season and is basically told, OK, that final third of the pitch, that's your domain. Um, we can't tell you what we're going to do at any point, but you make the best of it. Exactly. <laughs> he's, yeah. kind of, he's kind of making these runs in the, and we can see as observers, you know, from television cameras, he's got great movement. He's, he's going into the channels. But he's not doing it with any sense of, well, I know the ball will come to me. He's just chancing it constantly. And when the ball comes to him, he finishes. But there's not, there's no coherence behind it. And uh, I feel sorry for him in that respect because I think he's a guy who's looking for there to be a bigger plan than there is. And he's probably not alone in that. Mm. We spoke about Alexis Sanchez on the last Arscast Extra and we talked about the Alexis tax and what you get from him versus the wastefulness. Now, he's always been a, a a relatively wasteful player, I think, when it comes to possession, when it comes to turning over the ball. And, I, you know, I hold my hands up and I accept that a lot of the time that he gives the ball away is when he's trying to make something happen. I think, you know, you can take issue with the quality of some of the passes that he makes. He loves that little dinky pass over the top. Nine times out of ten, it just doesn't work. Uh, I wish he would vary it up a bit. I wish he'd get out of people's way. And yesterday, he was extremely wasteful again. I think he gave the ball away 32 times after 34 times against Manchester United. You know, the, the, there's an element of trying too hard. And then we have the fact that he created that chance for Ramsey. He also got the assist for the goal. If he'd been hauled off uh, by Arsene Wenger, I don't think I would have batted an eyelid based on his performance on the day, based on what we were seeing from him. But the fact that he stayed on didn't surprise me because I think Wenger in some way is is banking on him despite the obviousness of how he impacts our game at this moment in time as one of the only players who could possibly make something happen from a creative point of view. I mean, how do you view what's going on with him at this moment in time? Is it is it a case he could do with a rest or are we the kind of team that just simply can't afford to rest him, particularly on days like yesterday when it doesn't look like anyone else is going to make that breakthrough from a creative point of view? Yeah, well, that I mean, that's the tricky thing. I mean, I, I would take issue with some of the substitutions Yesterday, I, I, I can come back to that in a moment, but I thought yeah. Alexis, um, it's that awful thing where I'm, I'm watching the game and it's happened in the last few games where I'm watching it and thinking, well, if you were doing this on performance, he would undoubtedly be the player to come off. 
But then by the same token, he is the guy who is capable of making a difference. And as poorly as he played at Southampton, and he did play very poorly by his own standards, he did supply that cross for Olivier Giroud. And I know maybe there are other players in the squad who could produce that, but it is kind of a trademark Alexis move. And um, we talk about players knowing what players are going to do. Well, I think Giroud probably at least knew, well, Alexis is probably going to try and chip this up into the box because he's done it a hundred times already in the the 90 minutes. Um, And Arsene will probably feel justified in his decision to leave him on because he helped produce that equaliser. Um, for his own form, I, I don't believe he's sort of deliberately playing badly. You know, I don't think no. he's got that no. capacity to him. Uh, I, I don't think that he's thinking, well, I'm out of this club, I don't care. But whether or not the issues around his future are impinging on his performance in some way that he's not in control of, I don't know. Whether or not he's just in bad form, mm. I don't know. But Arsenal's solution has generally been to kind of play him into form, hasn't it? It's, it's rare that he takes him out the firing line, whatever the circumstances. Yeah, yeah. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because, you know, he is one of those players who can give you something on a day like yesterday when there's nothing happening, when you need somebody to have a moment of inspiration. He is capable of, of doing that. He's one of the only players in the squad who's capable of doing that, although I think yeah. those moments are a little bit less frequent than they used to be. And I think you've got to give more credit to Giroud for the goal than Alexis for the assist. I think the header was absolutely... Uh, first class um, mm. so I think that's did somebody say that's the 10th goal he scored in 2017 that's come after the 80th minute so you know that's it just crazy. shows yeah it is it's a, an amazing an amazing record um, but tell me about the substitutions you took issue with the substitutions what was well, your what was my, your thinking my there fu- my first one was and this is not a new complaint against, against Arsene Wenger but I felt that having gone behind uh, in, the, in the manner that we did at I would have probably switched to the back four at half time. I think it it was kind of obvious that in the second half, Southampton were going to be um, more pending and we waited an extra 20 minutes to make that change. And I, and I just thought, given the, the success of the back four against United and Borisov, mm. I would have gone to it sooner. Having done that, I must say, I don't necessarily think Danny Welbeck at right wing would have been my first option. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, you know, a Jack Wilshere, an Alex Awobi. I felt like Welbeck came on and really it didn't change anything dramatically for us. No. Um, If you were going to bring him on, maybe bringing him on as a second striker would have made sense. And by the end of the game, he was kind of playing there. But I just thought that's not really his position wide right. And I thought we had we had more creative options, which what we needed was someone who could unlock a defence, not someone who could run in behind. And he wouldn't have been the guy I'd gone for. Yeah. I mean, what what did you think of Wilshire when he came on? You know, I thought he, he tried at least to, to break through the lines a little bit. Mm. Uh, obviously, he's a very different kind of midfielder to to Granit Xhaka, who I saw get a lot of stick. But, I, you know, I don't think he played that badly. I don't think he played particularly any worse than, than anyone else. Um, I, I, I maintain that he is a guy who is going to struggle in this formation. Um, I think he's, it's difficult to get the best out of him when we play this kind of midfield formation. Obviously, there's an injury to Aaron Ramsey, which we can discuss in a bit. But, you know, I don't see necessarily Wilshire as a, a like-for-like replacement for, ja- for Xhaka in this formation. I think if you bring Jack Wilshire on and ask him to play in the same position as Xhaka, he's going to struggle as well. 
I think that the yeah. midfield needs fixing. It needs, like if you're playing uh, where Xhaka is playing, you need the other option closer to you. I thought it was quite interesting. Uh, maybe it was just my eyes. Maybe I'm wrong. But it felt to me that when Wilshire came on, Ramsey played a little closer to him than he was playing with Xhaka on the pitch. Maybe that was an instruction. But, you know, I I, th- I think uh, as long as we have these midfield issues where we find it difficult to not necessarily control games, but to build through the midfield, which is what I think we have problems with, then, you know, we're going to have days like yesterday when we just can't unpick the lock. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, uh, I I remember Wilshire playing at the base of the midfield. I think it was at Anfield in a game where we got absolutely hammered 5-1. And let me tell you, he looked every bit as defensively vulnerable then as Xhaka does at times, if if not more so. I think that in a game like this where you know you're going to have the majority of the ball uh, as you sort of are chasing it, it, it was a sensible option to bring him on. And I thought Wilshire did well. I thought that he wasn't perfect, but I thought that he, there was a bit of dynamism to him, at least. You know, he was carrying the ball. He was looking to make incisive passes. I don't think Shaka was that bad prior to that, you know, and the passing stats bear it out that he was relatively consistent in possession. Um, but he wasn't doing much to help us either. You know, it wasn't one of those games where he was sort of finding the wing backs in behind mm. for any kind of regularity. So... That made sense. I mean, obviously, the injury to Ramsey is another disruption to the midfield, but maybe you have to look at it as an opportunity. You have to look at it as a chance to restructure, to rebalance things, because it isn't right oh. at the moment. And yeah. and uh, well, we might right. yeah, we might come to that. But I just want to talk to you. Uh, you mentioned wing backs, and you know. Uh, We've got questions about Hector Bellerin, I think, uh, which will come up in in the second part. But uh, yeah, I do I do wonder whether or not this formation suits either of those guys. I know Kalasinek and and Bellerin are are given license to get forward, but without anybody really outside them, they they tend to come back inside all the time, don't they? They they very rarely yeah. get beyond the man, and um, when there's no space, I think they become very much impacted by by what's going on and by teams that, that sit deep. Yeah, I mean, I, I have noticed that about Bellerin increasingly, that what you'd like to see him do is get to the byline, you know, and use his speed to, to get in on the overlap. But invariably, he's actually playing as an inside forward, driving infield into the penalty box, um, into more crowded areas. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, a bit of a concern. I think, I think that they can thrive at wing back. I just think that we're not making it work at the moment. We're not we're not bringing the best out of them because I think that they have all the the natural attributes. And mm. We've seen them be effective in those positions before. I just feel like maybe their performances yesterday are kind of the consequence of a team that's not functioning properly. And I do think that any team the starting point has to be your central midfield. I mean yeah. it's just so important and it's been so long at Arsenal that it's not quite been right. And it feels like when it does go okay, it feels like we're getting away with it. It feels like Aaron Ramsey's kind of doing doing too much almost, you mm. know, that he's covering too much ground. He's kind of doing the job of two players and we're, we're getting away with that. But there's only so long you can get away with it for. And mm. if he is going to be out, 
hopefully Arsene uses that opportunity to to rebalance the side a bit. Mm, interesting, you know, you use the word opportunity. Uh, I, I do wonder how we can view it as an opportunity when Ramsey has been one of our best players in yeah, recent he weeks. He's, he's been creative, he's made goals, um, he scored a couple. And I just don't think that we have the the, the personnel or, or the quality in the personnel that we have uh, to replace him in any real way. I mean, it could, it could spark a shift in terms of how we set up our midfield. Maybe we go with three in midfield, which would see a return to the back four. He could do, uh, he could still do that, put three in midfield and play three at the back if he's not convinced. But I just have to say, you know, there, there seems to be this weird thing with Arsenal fans and Aaron Ramsey, and I completely get people who don't rate a player or who don't like a player. I understand that. But there's almost always when Ramsey is injured, an outpouring of glee from some people who seem to take great pleasure in the fact that he's mm. injured because they don't want him in the team. And I, I just really find that hard to take that there's such uh, pleasure in seeing a player injured uh, and a good player injured. And look, if we had brilliant midfielders who Ramsey was keeping out of the team and he was playing uh, ahead of guys who were much better than him, then, you know, I could understand it to a certain extent. I just don't get why people take pleasure in our players being injured. At the same time, they'll criticize our injury record the minute anyone goes down it's like oh typical Arsenal we've got the, all these injuries and then they're you know cheering and hollering and whooping when when Ramsey gets injured you know we don't have any real quality in midfield you know we don't no, have, I mean, you know, we've got Coquelin. I'm not excited about the midfield three of Shaka Coquelin and Elneny either <laughs> don't get me wrong no I know and I, I get what you're saying about maybe it, it being a, a way of creating a, a, a change in midfield that maybe something Ramsey can slot back into when he is fit again but you know Coquelin Elneny Xhaka Wilshire you know let, let's not forget people are putting a lot of uh, hope and expectation on Jack Wilshire and I get it I understand it they want him to come in they want him to do well he's an R man and I would love him to come in and really play well and start to fulfill the potential that we all hoped he had as a player but you know it's a, it's a lot to ask it's a lot to ask of a guy who's only just getting back to full fitness a guy who even at Bournemouth last season ended up getting left out of the team uh, Arsene Wenger this season has said he didn't see him as a central midfield player. He's, he saw him as someone who could play in the front three. I, again, not something I understand because I don't think that Wilshire's qualities lend themselves to the more dynamic uh, uh, qualities you need to play in the front three. I just I don't get it. But I think what he was saying was maybe Jack Wilshire doesn't have the legs or doesn't have the stamina or the ability to get around the pitch in central midfield anymore. So I do wonder if like Wilshire is being seen as this kind of one White Knight, this guy who's going to come in and and uh, and fix everything in midfield and make everything better. And if he did, brilliant. It would be amazing. But I wonder and worry that if after a couple of games when Jack doesn't perform at the level people want, you know, they'll turn on him as well. Yeah, I think that's inevitable. And I think to a certain extent, he's experiencing the Diaby effect, isn't he, of limited participation, suggesting maybe greater promise than uh, yeah. than is realistic. And I also think that it's an interesting thing with Wilshire, isn't it? He's in a position where he's influencing games in the Europa League. He's sometimes influencing games off the bench and people say, well, the solution is that he must start every Premier League game. And it's like, well, maybe that this is his, uh, maybe this is the facility he has. Maybe this is what he's going to be to the squad if he stays at Arsenal. Then mm. maybe that is his function. Maybe more is too much for him. 
but yeah, I think that the bigger worry with Wilshire is that I just don't think that he tactically solves the problems that are there. Yeah. And and the Ramsey thing is odd. Like, you know, it's not just glee, it's anger at the player as if he's kind of deliberately injured himself. I mean, it's so unfortunate, especially given, I, th- I think it comes a couple of days after him saying how, how much fitter he felt at the moment. He's obviously <laughs> been spared European football. I mean, it's absolute sod's law, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you just saw him limping around on that right-hand touchline and, I mean, it really hindered our opportunities to try and go on and get a winner for, for a start. But I, I listen, I'm I'm using the word opportunity because I'm trying to put a positive spin on it. In reality, I actually think Ramsey has been, along with Meza Ozil, probably our best player of late. Um, so, yeah, it is it is a big blow. And Arsene Wenger's got a big job on his hand, but... I suppose, look, I mean, it's I, I find it laughable that I'm actually realistically suggesting this, but the one thing you would say is we are three weeks away from a transfer window. If the <laughs> central midfield, I, I know, but if the central midfield is such a problem, there is at least an opportunity to do something about it. I don't have any faith, of course, <laughs> that that will happen. Yeah, yeah, that is the thing. But three weeks and there's a lot of football to play, uh, you know, in the next three weeks. And when you think, uh, you look at some of the games that we've got, they're difficult, difficult games. You know, we've got Liverpool, Pool at home and you know our record there uh, at home until recently has been very good and Ramsey has, has helped obviously I mean we have to look at just our away record so far this season we've played eight we've lost four of them we've won two drawn two our goal difference is I think minus four minus five on the road and we've got a game against West Ham on Wednesday um I mean, what 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 do you do with your midfield? What do you do with the team for West Ham on Wednesday night, James? Um, based on injuries, let's assume that Ramsey is out. How do we solve that particular problem? Well, I think given that Mustafi's probably still out, I think I would probably I would probably switch to a back four at this point. I must say, you know, Koscielny and Monreal didn't look too convincing as a pairing in that last 25 minutes or so mm. against Southampton, although they were very isolated uh, at that time. But I would probably go to a back four and then go to a three in midfield. I guess uh, I guess you'd pick kind of uh, Wilshire, maybe Wilshire, Shaka and somebody like El Nenny just to so, sort of steady the ship a bit, add a bit of continuity in, in the middle of the park mm. uh, and, and replace Ramsey's legs to an extent. I mean, El Nenny also covers a lot of ground and can do maybe some of a little bit of Wilshire's running for him. And then, then you've got your three maybe. And then I I guess outside that you could, I mean, you could, I mean, you could play Ozil as well. Well, yeah, this is what I, yeah. I mean, you could play Elneny and Wilshire, for example, which would give you a little bit of balance. If you're playing three in midfield, you could play Ozil, you know, as the, uh, as the, the tip of that particular triangle in a more central role. And you've got options, whether it's, uh, Iwobi, whether it's Welbeck, whether it's Walcott, even, you know, um, I'm not saying the the mm. options are all terribly convincing, but those are the options that you have. Um, but yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how he solves this one and how he, he gets his team ready for another away game. I mean, they must be feeling that they've got problems on the road. Yeah. I mean, you know, he talked about the United game being a psychological factor. I'm sure the away form is a heavier psychological factor on them at the moment. Uh and it's curious, isn't it? Because I feel like I might be wrong about this, but I feel like last calendar year, that was somewhere where we were something where, where we were quite strong. We were not too bad, you know. I remember there were a couple of decent away runs, but this year we've just not been able to get going at all. I mean, mm. oh, I saw an incredible stat. I think it might have been on your blog about 
how few away games in the league we've won over the course of the entire year. I mean, it's it's a handful, isn't yeah. it? I mean, we've really, really, really struggled for points. So it's something that needs fixing. I mean, a, a, if if a 5-1 win at Everton can't give us the confidence we need to go on and improve in that area, I don't know what it's going to have to be. Yeah, yeah. Maybe like last season in terms of changing the formation, he's got to do something similar again. And... You know, I don't another placebo. And yeah. The, yeah, well, kinda, kinda, but I don't know what else we do at this point. Um, but you know, it feels like constant firefighting, unfortunately, and that's that's kind of where we are at the moment. Um, I suppose the the other thing, or the the positive uh, aspect of the weekend, was the fact: okay, we got a point. It looked unlikely, and we got a point. Um, Liverpool drop points and Chelsea drop points. Uh, we went above Tottenham. So, you know, it, it could prove to be a valuable point in the context of the overall season. But right now it feels like a, an opportunity missed to not to have taken all three. Yeah, it does. It does. And hey, I mean, guys, I don't think we're going to win the league. So <laughs> it's call, it, call me crazy. It's just a hunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really put your... Uh, Put yourself on the line there with that one. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, hard-hitting stuff. Yeah, hard-hitting stuff like what happened in the tunnel yesterday between Manchester United and... I know, and poor Mikel Arteta. Mikel, oh, they, in the crossfire. They, 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 they made blood come out of Mikel Arteta's head. That's not as right. Long, as long as they didn't touch his hair. No, we can the, pray for. the hair remains absolutely impeccable. It's, uh, you know, it's just unmovable. It's inflexible, yeah. Absolutely. All right, well, look, we're going to take a break. We're coming back in part two with your questions and more right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. James, I'm going to start because I've got a question which ties into something that you said towards the end of the first part. This comes from Bees. He's at bees underscore says, and he says, with the transfer window approaching and considering the way we've conceded in the past two weeks, has it reached a stage where any signing we make is completely futile? (laughs) Uh, I think, well, some would say we reached that stage uh, a while ago. I remember 
for me, the sort of kind of breaking point where I was like, oh, does it, do the signings matter anymore? Was actually, I think when we went out and spent the best part of 70 million pounds on Shkodran Mustafi and Granit Xhaka. And I was like, this is exactly what I've been crying out for. You know, big money on spinal players, a central defender, a holding midfield player. And then uh, we promptly went on to make many of the same mistakes I've seen us make a million times before. Um, I, yeah, I, it's the same old answer with Arsenal. And the answer is generally that a great manager should be able to get the best of a group of players. He should be able to improve a group of players without uh, signing people. But when the manager doesn't change and the manager doesn't have a great plan, it's natural as a fan that you go, well, then maybe if we bring in a player who's that brilliant, mm. it can kind of counterbalance that. Yeah. The one thing I think is a little bit different this time around is with central midfield, where in central midfield, I genuinely do feel like we actually are lacking the kind of players that we need to be good enough. Like I, I, th- I think there is a personnel problem there rather than a, a strategy problem. Mm. So I think that is an area of the field that could be improved with the right signing. Patrick Vieira, for example. Yeah, of course. Yeah, just go back in time and yeah. uh, and and make a lab full of Patrick Vieiras that we can pull out at any point. Yeah, I, t- I take your point. I see that. I can see why we would need uh, a central midfield player. It's something we spoke about, I don't know how many times on this podcast. I don't know how many times I've written about it on the blog. Certainly last summer when we failed to bring in a central midfield player, I thought that was a big, big mistake. And I think that remains the case. Whether or not we can get the player we need in January remains to be seen. I think there are a couple of players out there who could fit the bill, but whether their clubs will allow them to leave in January or whether we're going to pay for them in January when perhaps we could pick them up for free in the summer, I I just don't know. I also think that we could really, really do with a signing um, in central defence or at least decide what it is that we're going to do with our central defenders. I think there are some big decisions to be made there. We've got three players who are playing centre-half whose whose age profile means we have to start thinking about the future. And if Rob Holding and Callum Chambers are seen as the future of this football club at centre-half, then I think we need to start moving in that direction because, you know, they... Well, I was going to say that would be famous last words. I was going to say they can't do much worse than than some of the guys we've, we've had in there at the moment. That's I mean, look... You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how the back three of Mustafi, Koscielny and Monreal hadn't lost a game and hadn't conceded a goal. So maybe, you know, it's, it feels a little bit reactive. But, you know, with, uh, with the manager's apparent uncertainty over his formation, where he's talking at the weekend about how the formation will change from game to game, that suggests to me that he's not, he's not convinced by it. I think if you're convinced by your defensive setup, whether that's three at the back or a back four, you stick with it. You don't talk publicly about changing it because that doesn't that doesn't make much sense. But yeah, look, a central midfield player could come in and help balance things in there. And maybe if you have that kind of a player that comes in and balances things, it might make the other parts tick as well. Um, and maybe you've got to look at, yeah, I don't know what else we could do in January. Realistically, what we're going to do in January, I don't think we're going to do anything other than maybe, maybe a central midfielder, but I don't see anything else happening at all. No. And I don't, and like, I would be, I would normally err on the side of uh, optimistic, you know, when it comes to a new signing, you project 
all your hopes and all your your uh, aspirations on that new player to be able to come in and make a big difference but you know i would i would be slightly glass half empty that regardless of the quality of the player i i just think there are fundamental issues about the team the way it's set up the way it's coached the way it's motivated the way it prepares for games the way it repeats the same mistakes that will always always be there as long as arsene wenger is the man in charge regardless of who regardless of who the the signings are or who we bring in. One thing you touched on then that I've been wondering about myself, do you think it's a bit of a surprise, given that he was thrown in at the deep end last season and really, I mean, swam pretty strongly in those circumstances, do you think it's surprising that Rob Holding hasn't seen a bit more action in the Premier League? Maybe so, yeah, yeah. like yesterday, he he erred on the side of caution, didn't he? Experience. He went for experience with Mertesacker coming in to replace Holding when he could have shifted Koscielny across and and played Holding, which he's done in the past, and that that um, that's been a position in which he's done well in. You know, he played well last season, Rob Holding, in that mm-hmm. back three, in that in that run in in the in the final nine or ten games. Uh, of the season and the FA Cup final, I think he did enough to show that you know he's he's got a good future. He had, a, I suppose, a bit of an iffy start to the season, didn't he? he had a couple of mistakes, um, and yeah, maybe a, at Anfield, yeah, maybe as, as yeah, but exactly, who didn't? Um, it could be a case that there's an element of protection going on. I think I said this the other week that he he is perhaps managing him a little differently than he has done some of his other young central defenders, and is is keeping him out of the the spotlight a bit and not putting pressure on him. But you know that there's also uh, the fact that these guys are professional footballers, and you know that they they they've got to be able to perform under pressure as well as in games where they're expected to win. So look, we'll see what happens. It feels to me like there's a changing of the guard when it comes to our central defence that is is obvious and inevitable because of uh, because of what's going on Mertesacker's retiring Koscielny you know he's not a guy who can play two or three times a week so over the next couple of weeks I think we're going to have to rotate our central defenders a bit and it'll be interesting to see what way he does it Yeah it's interesting because Arsene Wenger sort of often says um, that was a really long uh, sound for me there I don't know if you, I got sort I of did, trapped yeah. on it like a broken uh, record uh, uh, um, it's uh, he always talks about how much faith he, he always talks about how much faith he has in his players but um, he, he uh, and he's always like oh I love them I think they're all brilliant you know I think we've got 30 world class players or whatever it, whatever it is but I feel like at the back there are a few players Mertzaka might be one Holding might be another Chambers perhaps even Mustafi where I don't really believe he does have absolute faith in those players mm, at this point I agree Um and that's quite telling because Arsene Wenger is often guilty of having more faith in players than is appropriate, but he doesn't really seem to fancy those guys. So, yeah, that is something that's going to need addressing sooner rather than later. Mm. Okay, your question. Well, it's another question about the defence. It comes from Arnav Thacker on the Facebook. Uh, there's quite a few questions about Hector Bellerin, but Arnav feels particularly strongly about it. He said, time to include Debushi over Bellerin, given how shite he's been for a while now. Honestly, the last time I remember Bellerin doing something special was against Bayern when we won 2-0 with that assist for Erzo. Mm, yeah, there are a good few questions about Hector Bellerin, actually. Uh, Lots of people saying, remember when he was quick? Yes, like yeah, there was one saying uh, from DJ Flymo Sale, who's at DJ Flymo Sale, who says, do you remember when Hector 
Dr. Bellerin used to be fast. I assume DJ mm-hmm. Flymosail is the guy that you go to when you're looking for like a cheap lawnmower, but also some good tunes while you're 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 <laughs> browsing the lawnmower with a record player attached to it. Yeah, 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 exactly. And Daniel Houston, who's at Gooner Dan zero one, says, "Is it just me, or is Bellerin not that fast anymore?" And actually, watching that game yesterday, that thought occurred to me. There was a moment where I think he was breaking into the Southampton half and was caught up by, I think it was Bertrand, who's a quick player, but Bellerin uh, was known to be absolutely lightning. You know, there was nobody who could really stay with him. And there were a couple of times when he was uh, chasing back where he wasn't making any ground on on the player that he was chasing. And I do feel like since that ankle problem he had last season, where there was talk of him requiring surgery, I think that's affected his pace to a certain extent. Um, so I do believe that there's a, there's an issue there. Bellerin for Debussy or Debussy for Bellerin. If we're playing a back four, I think Debussy is an option. Uh, you know, I, right. I, I don't think he obviously is the long term, but I do think there are certain players who who just need to be reminded that they're not going to play every week just because. And I think the situation with Bellerin at this moment in time is that he's going to play every week as a right wing back, because we don't have anyone else who can play right wing back. The only other yeah. option that you can see in the squad is Ainsley Maitland-Niles as a as a possible yeah. replacement for, for Bellerin. Debussy can't play right wing back. Chambers can't play right wing back. Reese Nelson, I don't think, should play right wing back, even though he's been playing there in the, uh, in the Europa League. I don't think he's ready for it at, at Premier League level. So what we have is a comfort zone in that position. And... I don't doubt that Hector Bellerin wants to win every game. I don't doubt his professionalism or his desire to perform. But players have peaks and troughs when it comes to form, and you need to be able to manage them through those. And we're, we have no way of doing that. And I say the same, I think the same applies for Kalasinac to a certain extent as well. Mm. That we don't have another option there. Monreal is our other option there, which, you know, is a good option. But as long as Monreal is part of our back three, and uh, an integral or fundamental part of it, as, as it seems with Arsene Wenger, then he's in the same position too. And I think there, I think that's, I think it's not a big problem, but I think it is an issue that we have to manage and we have to be able to uh, um, get on top of. Because if you're playing players every week just because you've no other option, I think it's detrimental to them. It can be detrimental to the team as well. So a return to a back four maybe shifts. Uh, shift some of that comfort zone away because you immediately have Debushi as an option for right back and you also have some competition at left back assuming that Monreal is not going to be one of the central defensive duo so yeah it, it's all dependent on that if we stick with wing backs then I don't see how we've got any other choice if we move to a back four then we have options yeah, I think if you go to a back four, then Debussy becomes a rotation option and maybe he can push Bellerin a bit for his place. I still think that Bellerin is a fantastic player and, you know, in the long term offers a lot more than Debussy's going to. Mm. But, you know, he is going through a sticky patch and I do think that sometimes we forget as well how much we ask of Bellerin. I mean, I know he's not been playing Champions League, but he plays every league game. He usually plays the 90 minutes. Um He's playing in a position that he's still learning, that he didn't, you know, come to early in his career. He's played as a midfielder, he mm. plays a right back, and now he's playing as a wing back. There are little intricacies to that particular role that he's still acclimatising to. But the speed thing is a bit of a worry. I mean, obviously he had the 
problem with his ankle. And there was also talk that maybe he'd sort of bulked up too much, you know, that he mm. kind of spent too much time in the gym and that had affected his speed. But he does look a, a shade slower than he was. Um, that said, is that also a consequence of the way we play? I mean, a lot of the time, I know defensively he's been chasing against the likes of Bertrand and Redmond at the weekend, but when he's at his best, you know, that that chance created for Mesut Ozil against Bayern that was referred to in Arnav's question, that was us playing on the break and really exploding into space. And when we have this kind of sterile possession, that's never going to really tally with with that. You know, we're not, you're not going to see that from Bella in mm. those instances. Sorry, that was my phone going off. Very rude of me there. But uh, yeah, no, you're right. You know, certainly it's, it's difficult to get behind a pack defence. Isn't that one of the things that we always said about Theo Walcott is that when you mm. play a team who yeah. sit deep, it's impossible to get the best quality out of him. But I do I do worry a little bit about Hector. Um you know, I, I agree with you. I think he's a he's a great talent. But I do I often I also wonder if wing back actually suits him uh, as much as right right back. I think right back might be a better position for him. Um because he's got someone there's usually someone to work with ahead of him. Whereas with Ozil playing ostensibly from the right-hand side, he does tend to drift uh, and Bellerin often doesn't have any other option than to turn back. He could take a man on, but then you, you, you know, you run the risk of losing possession. Um, Sure. So it's a difficult one. We'll have to see what Arsene Wenger does uh, to solve that. Here's a question from Sean Adams, who says, do you think Arsene leaves Alexis and Ozil on the field, no matter how poorly they're playing, because they're the best option for finding a goal, or because he doesn't want to risk upsetting them by replacing them in the forlorn hope that they'll sign a new contract? To be honest, I don't really believe that he still thinks Alexis might sign a contract. Mm. I, I, I think that ship has sailed long ago. So when I sort of try and work out why it is he's leaving Alexis on the field, that is a factor that I take out of the equation because he must recognise. You know, he was so close to selling the player. Uh, he must know that the player is absolutely minded to leave the club. I think it's much more to do... I mean, I think with Ozil, maybe there's a little bit of room for doubt about what's going to happen with his future. So maybe there is something at stake in that respect. But with Alexis, I think it is just that capacity to produce something out of nothing. I mean, another example, it wasn't the best free kick in the world, but it pulled a save from Fraser Forster, didn't it? 30 yards out. And there's no one else we've got in our team who offers that threat from that scenario? And I think Arsene just thinks he's playing the percentages and thinking, well, as many times you give the ball away, it only needs him to get it right once. And that could be the difference. And, mm. and we need that. We probably do need that. Yeah, look, I guess the thing that you could probably do is manage how many times he gives the ball away if he's open to that kind of uh, management or coaching. Because you could tell Alexis, look, we like your creativity and, and everything else, but just don't try it every single time. Maybe take the simple option every now and again and maybe allow us to to move the ball around a bit like you were talking about Man City did. I don't think we can do it as well as they do. Um, they're kind of ridiculous this season, the, the, the way they pass the ball around. But, you know, he could, he could be a little more um, cautious, mm-hmm. right? Without, not, without necessarily negating those creative qualities that he has. There tends to be a bit more hidden hope with some of the passes he makes into the box, right? They're just, you know, that little scoopy one he does sometimes. It's like, oh, don't do it. Don't, I can see you're thinking about it. Don't do it. And then he does it. You're like, oh, Jesus Christ. You know, um, yeah. so maybe, you know, it's it's manageable. And if you get him to manage that, and if you get him to be a bit more, uh, 
not do the basics right, but just be a little more cautious or a little more careful in possession, it might well have an impact on the way that we uh, we attack, a positive impact rather than losing the ball all the time, which I think, uh, you know, you're, you're immediately then scrambling to, to get it back. And sometimes it doesn't look that difficult, particularly when you've got a side press back and he clips a little ball in and they clear it and we pick up the second ball. You know, it's not like uh, every concession of possession leads to a counterattack, but sometimes they do. And sometimes they, they they end up really hurting us. So, you know, I think you're right. He, he, uh, he leaves them on because he knows he's a guy who's got goals and assists in him. And on days like yesterday, I don't think Arsene Wenger has any other plan or any other way of getting his team to break down the opposition other than hope for some indiv- individualism from his his best players. I do think it might be time, as you say, to have a bit of a word with him, though. I mean, uh, Arsene needs to do that because when Alexis first arrived at Arsenal, he was doing this kind of thing all the time. You know, he was actually pretty infuriating to watch in those first few months. And he was guilty of overplaying, guilty of being selfish, guilty of trying to go it alone all the time. And then he kind of seemed to settle into more of a team pattern and become a little bit more consistent in terms of what he did in possession. Mm. And basically those bad habits have crept back in. So I would like to think that he's an intelligent enough guy. He'll always be who he is. You know, you can never quite tame Alexis, but there must be a degree to which, you know, he could be reined in a little bit because that would be to the benefit of the team, I think. Yep, yep, yep. Um, Should I have another question? Yeah. I know, I knew you were going to say yes. I just was stalling for time. Um, (laughs) James Dixon uh, on the Facebook page said, he went to a Benfica match on the weekend they have an eagle on their logo and they bring one onto the pitch pre-match. Can we push for bringing on a pre-match working cannon? That would be a good idea. I can see I can see the logic in that. That would be that would be fun particularly against certain opposition, but you know, could we not expand this a little bit further? An eagle is a thing. It's a bird. It's a. I don't like birds. They're flappy and all that. And I've expressed this before. But it's a. You know, it's a living thing. Sure. So what if, what if, we we go mining for amber? I I hear you. I hear. I see where you're going. And within the amber, we find a mosquito that has sucked the blood of a, a dinosaur. And from there, we take it to London Colney, we take it to the high-tech lab that we have there, and we create an actual dinosaur to come Colin on the Lewin pitch. puts a syringe in the amber. Exactly. Takes it out. We make the little Sprays dinosaur in a, eggs. In an egg or something. Exactly. And lo and behold, before too long, we have got an actual velociraptor that we can bring onto the pitch. In an ars- in full arsenal kit. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have him there on the sideline. And, uh, you know, if a manager encroaches outside his, um, outside his uh, technical area, chomp. There you go, mate. Yeah. You're getting fucking chomped by the dinosaur. So stay in your fucking box or else. Opposition like players, that. you know, when they do some of these uh, TV channels now, they do some of the TV punditry um, on the side oh, of the, the pitch. pitch. Yeah. yeah. None of this. Don't worry. We've got a fancy studio up here, but you know what we'll do? We'll stand on the pitch like idiots. Yeah. Watch what you say, Jamie Redknapp, or chump. You're getting fucking chumped by the dinosaur. See how fucking fashionable and trendy and uh, attractive to the opposite sex you are with one leg and half your yeah. face missing. 
How do you think your trousers will go won't be there? too tight when you haven't got any legs? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I, that's where I think we should go with that. Cannon, yeah, good. It's a bit industrial, but there is the uh, the possibility of collateral damage, isn't there? Like you fire sure. a cannon, somebody could just go straight across and blow up, you know, half the the, the West Stand or something. And nobody nobody needs that. Arsenal fans don't need to be blown up by their own cannon. But if we've got our own dinosaur, then I'm all on board. I mean, supporting Arsenal feels very much like you're being blown up by your own cannon. Let me tell you, mm. uh, I, I like the dinosaur thing. I have a slight worry about at half time when Gunnosaurus takes all the little kids and does penalty shootouts in the centre circle. I don't know how we're going to coach this Velociraptor to engage nicely with but you children. Know, no, but you know what? This is this is how you make these kids learn about life and you make them learn about the pressures of football. None of this diving out of the way, dinosaur. Oh, look, you've scored and they think it's easy. Puts them yeah. in a comfort zone the rest of their lives. They think everything's going to be handed to them. Bullshit. Mm. Score past the dinosaur little fella or chump, you're getting fucking chomped as well. <laughs> they learn very quickly how to uh, take a penalty, give the goalkeeper the eyes. None of this fucking sure. pussyfooting around anymore. Distract him with a cow carcass or something. Exactly. And then bury it in the top corner. Yeah, it, it, it's about, uh, you know, creative thinking, problem solving. Mm. How the fuck yeah. am I going to not get chomped by this dinosaur Okay, I'll make it, you know, it's it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It'd be good as well. You know, they have like the big race where all the football mascots race each other. Uh, have you seen that? They like yeah. run a derby or something together. It'd be great having an actual Velociraptor in that as well. I think not only would we win, we would certainly be the last mascot standing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's what we all want from football these days, isn't it? None of this like, you know, success on the Trophies. pitch, good team. Yeah. We just want the most ferocious mascot. That's what we want. And we won't we won't rest until we can get it. Absolutely. Yeah. Not. Come on, Gazidis. <laughs> Do your job, Gazidis. Bring the dinosaurs back. You're taking the pride out of it. You're taking the DNA out of it, Gazidis. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's a question from Ian Wright. Not that Ian Wright, but a different Ian Wright, who's at IH Wright, who says our right. our players our record Premier League winning streak, and now our Old Trafford tunnel fights. What's the next thing that Man City will try to copy from Arsenal? Uh, <laughs> apart from picking Alexis Sanchez. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, they really... I mean, it seems like they've... They might even have outdone us on the tunnel fight. I mean, you know, time will tell. Mm. Uh, but if, if apparently there was food stuff involved and f fisticuffs, real life fisticuffs, real so. life fisticuffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People with bloody heads. Lukaku apparently um, was involved. I don't know what he was doing. Whether he was thumping stuff. Uh, you know, the, the obvious joke about kind of being clumsier than anything <laughs> he did on the pitch. <laughs> Uh, yeah, did he hit the target or the wrong target? Who knows? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He punched Arteta, but what was he aiming for? We'll yeah, never know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. I uh, well, look, it is annoying watching Man City. I watched that game yesterday, and I. Mm. It did make me feel a bit sad actually, because I was watching Man City play this kind of football, uh, and uh, you know, in the relief of having watched Arsenal play uh, so differently earlier in the day, and the the contrast and the the gap really between the style of the two teams is pretty significant at this point yeah um it really is actually you know uh, there's uh there's a good video doing the rounds this morning you know not that i 
Not that I endorse taking that much pleasure in other people's misery. However, whatever the Manchester United equivalent of Arsenal fan TV is, there's this <laughs> this guy just comes along and unleashes an enormous rant about Mourinho and about you know how we're united and we're playing like shit at home and City came here and they bossed it and you know because of Mourinho, you know what struck me over the weekend. Because I watched uh, some of the Liverpool game. I saw the Man City, uh, Man United game as well. And you're looking at two of the best players in the Premier League, Kevin De Bruyne and uh, uh, Mo Salah at Liverpool. Both players who Mourinho had at Chelsea and let go and got yeah. nothing like what the the uh, their current managers are getting out of them. Um, he just really is... Uh, he really is a dreadful person, isn't he? And just not, <laughs> he's just, someone said he's, it's basically, uh, what did I see him called? Oh, apologies. Billionaire Tony Pulis, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I can believe which is, that. Which is not wrong. Not wrong. No, it's not wrong at all. I mean, he was probably in the tunnel, you know, making sure people's eyes got gouged out. And yeah. Stuff. I, 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 yeah, I, I, yeah, it's, uh, I look, look, I mean, as much, uh, as they beat us last week or whatever, I still, you know, I, I still think that it must be for United fans who sort of pride themselves on, you know, their tradition and their history and their style. I don't know quite how they can come to terms with, mm. with having Mourinho at the helm. Yeah, well, just on that, Steve Sinyard, who's at Steve Sinyard, who says, after Milkgate, because uh, Jose Mourinho apparently got milk squirted at him, he said, right. if you could throw any food item at Mourinho, what would it be? <sighs> wow. Wow. I don't know. It's obviously something horrible, right? Not something delicious. Like, you know, in like um, Scandinavia when they eat like rotting herring and stuff like that. Oh, like desiccated shark. Yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Something that's really going to stay with him, you know? Mm. So that every time he walks into the room, it's like, Jesus, what is that stench? Oh, it's Jose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be good. I was thinking more along the lines of um, a brick. Sure, sure, sure. Mm. One of those delicious bricks that you see. <laughs> Listen, I've got a larder full of bricks. I haven't got around to eating any of them yet, but, you know. Um... If I said to you uh, that you could throw any food that you liked at Jose Mourinho, but the one condition was that in order to justify it, you had to eat that food, <laughs> uh... Are you say, would you eat the brick to facilitate throwing the brick? No, no, I would change my mind. And you know what I would use? I'd use a a leg of Spanish ham. You know, uh, the ones... Because, I mean, think about it. You would eat it piece by piece. Oh, yeah, you know, but remember... At your leisure. But think about that. What an amazing thing that would be to throw at him because you've got, like, a natural handle. You've got the trotter on the end of the, the well, leg of ham. A club. Yeah. It did say throw, you know, so uh, I'm, I'm, you know, certainly you could use it a, a, as a club and it would be a very effective weapon in that regard. But, you know, you could you could do it like almost a, a like discus. Yeah, like an axe or a discus. You could spin around a few times and just sort of release it, get the trajectory right, and that would certainly um, cause him some damage. And then you could just pick it up. And because it's got the, because um, it's cured with the kind mm. of skin on the outside, you just start shaving away. Get, you know, any Mourinho contamination from where it hit him would be gone and you could just uh, enjoy the delicious ham. So I would do that rather than actually eat a brick in order to throw it at him. Fair enough. 
What would taste more delicious than ham that had been involved in decapitating Jose Mourinho? I like how <laughs> I you went to imagine. decapitating. I thought it would just sort of, you know, break his jaw or something, but... Oh, no, I, I trust you can throw it pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how hard you would have to throw something like that at somebody to, to actually decapitate them. Would that be possible? Depends on the distance, doesn't it? I don't know. Would it not I just smash? Would it not just crush their head? Next week, live on the Ask Us Extra, <laughs> an experiment for the ages. Yeah, Jose, uh, Jose, can, can we please have a surreptitious meeting with you? Um, you just yeah. stand in that field over there. You know what we could do as well? We could invent a machine. You know when you see the goalkeepers doing training, and rather than firing shots at them, they had this machine that they put the ball into, and it goes, pew, 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 yeah, yeah, fires yeah. the balls out. We could just invent one of those that fires out legs of Spanish ham until such time That's as it. we found the one that that, uh, that decapitated. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't decapitate him, but... Uh, I believe. I, I I think it can happen. Ham on, head off. Ham I want to see it happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Ham on, head off. I love it. Um, I think on that point, we should probably uh, leave it there, should we? We've got a game okay, on. Yeah. We've got a game on Wednesday against West Ham. Fresh like from their yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, fresh from their win over Chelsea as well, which was a bit of a surprise. So hopefully they they're spent. That's what I'm hoping for. I think for. that's them. That's David Moyes' win for, you know, a while, surely. Come on. I can't have another away. Oh, no. Not Draw da- or defeat. Yeah. Grim. Come on, Arsenal. Get, get, your, get your inner dinosaur going. Jump, those motherfuckers. Come on. Um, mm, I'm sure you can please. do it. Uh, so thank you as, uh, as ever for listening. Really appreciate it. We will catch you on the Arsecast on Friday, and we'll have another Arsecast Extra next Monday. Until then, take it easy. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.